Uh, it's the first podcast back in a while. I hope I don't have a Rick Dalton style meltdown. That would be embarrassing. Hey fam, welcome to a new episode of Stay Watching. As always, I'm your host, Larry. I know technically I had an episode in the new year already, um, but this is kind of like the unofficial start of a new season um, and me getting back onto the schedule of recording the podcast on a hopefully mostly regular basis. And, you know, I'm going to be trying some new and different things this year, as I've probably mentioned a thousand times before, but this is all about growth. This is all about change. This is all about doing things. So here we are this week on the podcast. We are going to be talking about the best picture nominees. So what I really want to do right now is just kind of preface this conversation with just a little bit of my personal thoughts on kind of award shows in general. I don't like award shows. I am not a big fan of the kind of the way that awards are given to movies most of the time anyway um a big piece of that is because so much of it stems from basically paying to get your stuff out there in front of people so for a lot of people that don't know a big part of the entire idea of the four consideration thing is basically paying for ad time paying for opportunities to get your film get your work out there in front of the people that are going to be voting on these things and you know i i know for some people it's like that's just how the system works and you know either you have the money or you don't um but the challenge that i kind of see with that is you know oftentimes what that means is people that really should be experiencing these films if they are going to be voting on this sub don't see all of the films that they should be um and don't always have a full picture of those films that they're they're looking at and this isn't just limited to films obviously so today i am talking about just the best picture nominees but this is true of things like your best actors category best writing best director all of that sort of stuff so um you know, again, like I know not really a super huge deal for a lot of people. Um, sometimes you just want to see an award show and enjoy it. I, me, I never really found the Oscars that exciting. I think they're pretty boring. Often the times I don't like the movie that wins best picture. Um, and it's always a little bit challenging when you see some of the films that get nominated for this stuff while others don't, you know. Oftentimes, you know, basically every year we talk about what snubs have taken place, why are no female directors nominated, why is there only one actor of color or possibly two um, nominated in, in the categories, you know, so many different things like that. And, you know, while those are all kind of valid conversations that we should be having, today I'm not going to get into all of that. I'm going to save that probably for another time. Because um, today, really what I want to just talk about are the films themselves, the films that are nominated 
for best picture. And we're not really going to do this in any particular order. Uh, basically, it's just the order that they are listed in uh, nomination order. Um, that said, my favorite film of the group and the one that I am rooting for just happens to be last. So get to talk about that one last, save the best for last. So um, we're going to take just a quick break and we're going to be right back. So looking at the list of Best Picture nominees for this year's Academy Awards, I have to be honest, I was a little surprised that this one made it on there. Not because it's a bad movie, but because no one really saw it. It didn't seem to be something that a lot of people talked about, um, even though I would say that I thoroughly enjoyed it and, and really thought it was a well-crafted film. Um, that movie is Ford v. Ferrari, directed by James Mangold and starring Matt Damon and Christian Bale. You know, and like I said, technically it's a very good film. It's well-directed, well-paced, well-acted. It has this great blend of practical and digital effects to create kind of the race environment. Um, it's also really a story about creatives who are kind of, in a sense, forced to work for the system, but still want to exhort their creative control and kind of really show, you know, in a sense, the man that they're working for, that they really know what they're doing and, and really should be left to their own devices to make that happen. And you know, it is kind of this exciting film in a lot of ways, um, and it does provide a decent bit of introspection about kind of the relationships that you build and, you know, what it's what it means to be a difficult person and how to really kind of put your ego aside to work with others. And, you know, I think there's a lot of really good messaging in here. Um, that said, in a lot of ways, it is kind of a very standard film you kind of know where it's going you know all of the turns um you know and and you're not ever really surprised by anything that happens but again it's just so technically well done that it's really hard to complain about anything within it um and you know again like i think matt damon and christian bale both provide really good performances as well as their their supporting cast i mean it's a kind of who's who of different people that that show up and do a great job in this film. Um, I, I I was in. I, I saw it, you know, opening weekend and really just kind of enjoyed going for that ride. That said, I, I really don't think it is a best picture film because I don't think it did anything that will, you know, stick with me um you know and, and again that's not to say that i didn't take things away from this film and didn't enjoy things from this film um but i don't think it does enough to really set itself up as kind of this cultural touch point you know and i know not every film that wins best picture is able to do that uh but at least for me you know in terms of the criteria that i would be looking for that this film doesn't quite have that. And I really wish it did because I think it comes very close to having that um, and then just doesn't quite stick that landing. So the next film uh, that was nominated for Best Picture is The Irishman, directed by Martin Scorsese, starring Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, and Al Pacino. And 
I I think I've talked before on this podcast about this film. I'm actually a pretty big fan of what Martin Scorsese did here with The Irishman. It is not a perfect film by any stretch of the imagination. It's not my favorite Martin Scorsese film. It's not my favorite performance by Robert De Niro. I think Joe Pesci puts forth a really great performance that I kind of wish more people would talk about. Um, I know people are mixed on Al Pacino. I fall on the side that I think he does a really good job as Jimmy Hoffa. Um, I think he's a fun character, at least the way that he's portrayed here. Um, and he makes for, you know, he makes for a really dynamic character, especially when kind of juxtaposed by, you know, Joe Pesci, who is basically, if, if a whisper could act, that's Joe Pesci in this movie, whereas Al Pacino is, you know, take your most ridiculous Al Pacino, dial it back just a little bit, but then put it through a megaphone. Um, and so I think those two characters really act as great kind of, um, a, a great accoutrement around Robert De Niro's character, who is really just our POV character. He's the person who's reflecting on his life throughout this film and that whose journey we're going on. And, you know, for good or bad, I think that's what really works about this film for me. Um, it is incredibly long, and I've talked about in the past how this film, the length is a piece of it. A length is an artistic decision that seems to really put us in the place where we are forced to sit in reflection with this grandpa telling us his life story. You know, we just kind of have to go along for the ride for whatever, you know, twists and turns are in there, whether something is actually of, of value or not within what he's saying, we just have to listen to him because, you know, he's one of our elders and we need to give him that respect. Um, and that's, again, that's something that I really kind of enjoy about that. And I think for me, my kind of metatextual reading of this film, which I've, again, I've talked about before, is really, it's Martin Scorsese reflecting on his career. So as somebody who has made these different crime films and, and mob films and all of these things, sitting down at the end of the day and kind of looking in a sense at the trail of bodies he's left and, you know, kind of questioning, was it worth it? What do I have in the end? And, you know, what is my legacy? And when you really start to look at this film as a movie, a story about understanding your legacy and kind of, you know, needing to sit either in comfort or discomfort with the actions that you've taken throughout your life. I think it does a really effective job of doing that. Uh, but again, I think the challenge with this film is that I personally don't know if it's if it is the best picture this year. Um, again, I thoroughly enjoyed it, but I understand how it can be in a sense, a slog to get through. I think there is a bit of bloat in this film. There are things that probably could have been cut out um, and still, it, it still could be long. That length could still be a part of it with just a little bit of trimming though to kind of short end. Like, I mean, no film, at least in my opinion, needs to be over three hours. Um, not to say that we can't make films that are that long, um, but given the number of efficiently told stories that we have gotten recently, I feel that there could have been some steps taken to really shore up this film and really make it, you know, I don't want to say concise because I, I feel like that does it a disservice. I think there was a lot that 
Martin Scorsese wanted to say, wanted to get out there, um, but I think it could have been done in a little bit more of an efficient and a little bit more of a streamlined manner. And I know that's not something that he is always the best at, but I think that's something that could have actually helped this film a lot. Um, and again, the other the other thing that I would really say with it is, you know, while we didn't quite get the best performances from everybody and some of the CG decision making to de-age people didn't quite work, especially when matched up with frail older bodies, I think there's just they're just enough at times that can take you out of this film. Um and, and really just kind of derailing it from being, you know, this thing that it could be. Um, I, again, I really thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I think for me, it's pretty close to the top uh, in terms of, you know, this list of films. Um, you know, I, I definitely like it better than a lot of the other entries here, uh, but still not quite the top for me. So the next film um, that was nominated is Jojo Rabbit, directed by Taika Waititi and starring Roman Griffin Davis, who plays Jojo, Thomasin McKenzie, who plays Elsa, Taika Waititi, who plays uh, imaginary Hitler, uh, um, and uh, Scarlett Johansson, who plays Jojo's mom. Uh, and this is a film that I will be honest, I wanted to like it more. Um, I'd heard a lot of really great things about it, especially, you know, after it made its kind of festival run. Um, you know, I am a big fan of Taika Waititi's work, not just, you know, like the Thor thing, but what we do in the shadows, Hunt for the Wilder People, stuff like that really, um, his films always kind of spoke to me because there is like this ridiculousness, but there's also this level of heart to them. And I think this film, Jojo Rabbit, does a good job of kind of continuing that trend where, you know, he is able to be silly. He is able to have fun while still tackling very serious and in some cases, very dark themes um, and doing it in a way that doesn't necessarily cheapen them. Uh, one of the things that I've actually had a problem with this week is, you know, reading a couple of articles here and there where people basically were saying that Taika Waititi whipped this film was softening Nazis. And I don't think that's the case at all. Um, I'm not spoiling any of these films, but you know, the, the atrocities that Nazis commit are on display in this film. Maybe not to the magnitude that, you know, certain reviewers would like, uh, but it is very clear that they are evil, vile people, um, despite the way that Taika Waititi has chosen to take the piss out of them within this film. Um, and, and I think that's, that's one of the things that, again, is very interesting about his approach here. Um, and I know that's probably part of why, even within myself, I, I found myself a little divided by it, because I think there are some points where it is really earnest and sincere and it does a really good job of kind of getting its point across um but sometimes that kind of split between that and the comedy for me especially the more fantastical comedy is a bit jarring um and it's a bit of a challenge to kind of make those leaps for me um you know and part of that might just be the fact that i'm not the biggest kind of straight up comedy guy um which is surprising, especially liking Taika Waititi's other work, because 
for me, you know, he is very funny and a lot of what he does, you know, gets me to laugh. And there, there are some fantastic, fantastic moments in Jojo Rabbit for, for humor, um, especially with uh, Yorkie and his inability to die. If you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I, I think there are a lot of really great, really funny moments in here. A lot of really heart-wrenching uh, uh, elements to this film. Um, and I think structurally it works pretty well, but just for whatever reason, it didn't quite hit me at the emotional center the way that I thought it would. Um, there is one incredibly emotional part that it can be very difficult to watch, or it was very difficult for me to watch. Um, and I think part of it is just the how understated it is and how world-changing it is. Um, and in a way, like, I, I feel like it's one of the moments within the film where Taika is at his best in terms of being able to tell the story that he set out to tell. Um, you know, with that said, uh, on the performance end, you know, the child actors are fantastic. I think all of them deliver really, really phenomenal performances. Um, I was really invested in all of them. I thought they were just so much fun to watch, so much fun on screen. Um, the way they interacted with one another, especially Jojo and Elsa, was just really, really, you know, amazing, really fun. I think Scarlett Johansson as Jojo's mother, her relationship with Jojo is so well realized on screen. Um, and, you know, I'll be honest, is I I don't want to say that I'm not a fan of Scarlett Johansson because I think that would be unfair. Like, I always hope for the best from her performances. And, you know, obviously within the context of Marvel films and some of the other things that she's worked on, I don't think she's always given the best material and I don't think she's always given stuff that she can really sink her teeth into in a really weird, real way. And I think this film did a good job of allowing her to be this caretaker, be funny, but also be serious, have an edge to her that really worked. And I, I just thought she delivered such a good performance. Um, you know, for me personally, I, you know, having just seen Marriage Story, which we will talk about in a little bit, I actually think this is probably my favorite Scarlett Johansson performance this year. Um, you know, again, not that she is bad in Marriage Story, but I feel like just from an emotional resonance standpoint, the work that she did in Jojo Rabbit really hit me, you know, a lot closer to my heart. Um, you know, but but again, you know, it's a, it's a really, I think it's a very good film, um, but, you know, from an intangible standpoint, it, it didn't quite reach me in the way that I thought it would. Um, it is a good looking film. I think it, I think the, the art direction of this film is good. I think, again, the performances are good. The direction is good. The writing is good, but like it never, it, again, it just never got to that kind of top level for me. So the next film, oh God, this is, whew. <laughs> uh, I spent a lot of time talking about this one before, and I think a lot of you know how I feel about it already. Um, despite my feelings kind of shifting on it somewhat, um, it's Joker. It's Joker. So Joker, Joker is such an interesting case. Just let me get some of the things that I really 
like about it out of the way first. I think Joaquin Phoenix is amazing. Um, if he does not get the best actor Oscar, I would be surprised because I don't think I, no one comes to mind who had a better, more transformative performance than he did as Arthur Fleck. So whether I like the film as a whole or not, it does not matter. I think he delivered the best performance that I've seen, um, especially out of those nominees. Again, we're not really going to go into all of those, but um, I think that Joaquin Phoenix did the damn thing in Joker and he deserves all of the props that he can be given for that. Um, that said, I also really enjoyed the, you know, the art direction, the set design, the, um, the scenes, the costuming, the lighting, the cinematography. I think Joker for me has a visual aesthetic that I really responded to well. And I know some people are going to say, well, it looks like, you know, kind of everything else that is, you know, set in the eighties, set in the dark, dirty New York ish eighties. And Sure, sure, it does look like those things, but I think they just did such a good job of realizing it. And I think it would be unfair not to applaud the film for those things. Where I don't think the film is the best. Actually, let me, again, something that I think is good, not the best, but good here. Um, I don't think he deserves a best director nom, um, but he got one. Um, Todd Phillips' direction in this film is good. Um, I think the reason why I say that is I question some of kind of the, I, 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 I question how much of this film and the things that really work were him and how many of those things were Joaquin making decisions as an actor and him as a director, like, sure, this is also his role, but just kind of going along with what his star has decided to do. I mean, there's a ton of different things that have been talked about including the you know the bathroom scene kind of the in a sense the transformation scene where that character the character of arthur really starts to change after a very traumatic incident um you know a lot of people have talked about the refrigerator scene and just things that joaquin phoenix decided to do and as a director todd phillips went along with them and, and again like i mean I think that's the challenge here is when I'm when I'm watching this film, when I'm thinking about this film, where is the director's hand? And in some cases, it's good for that hand to be removed. I'll talk about this a little bit more later in reference to another film. Um, but when you have a star who is who is this good and so few of your scenes really involve other characters who are you know not interacting with this one central piece it's kind of hard to determine you know what did this guy really do and and again like i i i know that's like inflammatory and i don't mean it to be because again i think todd phillips did a good job directing this film um, I don't think it's phenomenal um, from a writing perspective. I don't think it's that well written. I don't think this film has much as much to say as we like to pretend it does. Um, obviously, I think the issues of poverty and mental health are really important. And I think those are issues that we've seen pop up in a ton of different films this year. And I am glad that we are seeing those tackled more. I think that it was a good decision to... Um, 
in some ways it was a good decision obviously there's a lot of argument about this still but i think in a lot of ways it was a good decision to have those be the core issues that this film was speaking to um because even if we're not going to have a really in-depth conversation about this issue it can at least get the conversation started for a mass audience and you know again to go back to something that's really good about this film uh one thing that i would do is really compare it to logan where we are taking a comic book character we are putting them in this kind of i, I don't want to call it more serious because sometimes these characters are coming from worlds that are already serious but in a sense a, a almost more real a a more emotionally resonant place that allows us to more easily take this journey with them and and kind of respect um maybe respect's not the right word but maybe to better better understand what they're going through and kind of who they are and what they are becoming um, and the challenges that they face. And I think this film, like Logan, does a very good job of making these kind of fantastical characters real. Uh, and I think that's something that I do enjoy about this and do, you know, as I said before, I do wish more films in the kind of superheroic comic genre could do things like this. Not saying that every film needs to be a dark character study or needs to be overly serious because I, I think sometimes when stuff like this happens, when we see something as successful as Joker, making a ton of money, getting a lot of critical acclaim, winning awards, when we see that, sometimes there's this desire to overcorrect and to do way more of that kind of stuff than we actually need to be doing. So I hope we don't get to that point with this where we're basically making too many Joker clones. Um, but I think it is a good example along with Logan for trying different things with our superhero movies and not just like in the Marvel way where, you know, Captain America Winter Soldier is a quasi, you know, spy thriller, which... It, it, it is and it isn't, you know, really, really shifting genres and taking these characters in a different direction. I think I think that's something that both Logan and Joker do very well. Um, you know, and, and if anything, what I would say is, even though I am not the biggest fan of Joker, one of the things that I really appreciate about this film is the conversations that it was able to get started about film. So you know, being able to recommend some of Martin Scorsese's older films, being able to talk about stuff like Network and, um, you know, other films that this film is referencing and just being able to have those conversations, introduce people to things that they haven't seen before uh, and move on from there. I think that was something that was really kind of interesting about this film and just really the, the dialogue around it. And, you know, I know sometimes I take film a little too seriously and, and will be a little bit too dismissive of things. And I, and I know I was a bit dismissive of Joker, but I found it a really fun film to talk about despite it not being my favorite film. And, and I think that's something that I, I really respect about it. Like, um, 
you know, I want to talk to people about this film and understand what it was that they loved about it, understand what it was that they took away from it, understand what really spoke to them, um, and really try to, you know, in some cases, find other films that they might be interested in and hope that Joker provided a great jumping off point for them to really invest in other cinema, you know, because, you know, again, like challenge I have with this film is partially that it is aping a lot from old Martin Scorsese films and from other directors. And, you know, Todd Phillips was very clear about, hey, here are some of the things that I was referencing. And, you know, that's fine. You know, being able to reference those things is fine. The challenge I have is that when some of those references are a little too, um, I don't want to say on the nose, but a little too, you know, there were a couple of cases where, you know, maybe a line or two is lifted straight from another movie and, and stuff like that bothers me. And I know, I know it's homage in a lot of ways or, or the way it's being done is homage, but I, I find that challenging to be kind of 100% behind. So, um, again, Joker is not a bad film. Um, I don't think it's a bad film at all. Um, it's not my favorite film, but I think it's a, it's a great conversation starter. And I've really enjoyed the time I've spent talking about that film with different people um, and really understanding what they like, what they don't like about it. And, and really kind of how it can inform some of the decisions we make with our comic book films and superhero films going forward. I, I just, you know, again, you know, not the best film ever, but I think it, I think it does do something that is pretty important for where we're at right now and the types of kind of big budget films that are being made, especially since it wasn't made with a big budget. I mean, I think that's something that's really, yeah, I, I know I'm, I'm talking a lot about Joker a lot more than I expected to, but Again, I think I think it does just kind of showcase a lot of different things that that we really should take note of um, and consider as we go forward in making kind of superhero media. Like, I mean, it for for the budget that it had, the amount of money that it made, it was almost pure profit from week one. And that's amazing. That's something that doesn't happen anymore. So what better way to follow up a movie about a homicidal clown and then to talk about Little Women. Directed by Greta Gerwig and starring Cesare Ronan, I probably butchered that name. Uh, the one, the only Florence Pugh, uh, who is having an amazing year. Like, just let me have an aside real quick. I think Florence Pugh has had one of the best years and, you know, it's, it's challenging because while she is very good in Little Women, I feel like her performance in Fighting With My Family might be my favorite performance from her this year. Um, that's if, for those of you who don't know, Florence Pugh, basically her, one of her big roles this year was as the WWE wrestler Paige in a movie about Paige's life. And it was written by Stephen Merchant and like Nick Frost and Lena Headey play her parents. And it's just wild. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like a standard kind of biopic about an athlete. Uh, but at the same time, I just think Florence Pugh is really arresting in the role. And, you know, the, the movie is funny and fun. And I, I think it's a, it's, it's a really enjoyable film. And then the other film that she was in this year was Midsommar, um, Midsommar, Summer, however it's pronounced. Um, 
Uh, and that was another, you know, while she didn't have a lot of, a whole lot of lines, she had to do an awful lot of face acting and emoting and, um, you know, her reactions and just movement and everything. It's just like, she's just so good. Um, so yeah, Florence Pugh, I am really excited to see what she does going forward. I think she's got a, she's got a lot of latitude. Um, she's got a lot of range, and I think she can definitely be, you know, a really big. Like, I don't almost don't want her to become like too big of a star. I want her to be taking on a bunch of different projects. Like, the fact that she was able to take on like a, a historical drama ish thing book adaptation like little women uh portray a real life person in fighting with my family and do like a folk horror you know i don't want to call her a final girl because i think that's a bit dismissive of what this character actually is in midsummer but to do like those three vastly different roles in one year I, I, I just think she's showing us a lot of what we can expect from her in the future. And I hope she doesn't end up kind of like pigeonholed into any specific type of role and really just kind of takes as many different types of things as she can get, uh, because I think she will delight us in all of them. Um, so that just, that was just a quick aside about Florence Pugh. Um, also Hermione Granger herself, Emma Watson is in this film. Uh, Eliza Scanlon, who plays the, uh, March sister who, if you know, little women, she's, you know, she's that the, the one, the one who's almost too pure for her own good. Um, that boy that everybody loves Timothy Chalamet. Uh, was also in this and uh, Laura Dern, who is also having like, so we, we, we talk about specific actors as having like these returns in these really massive ways. I feel like Laura Dern is one of those people that like, now that she has come back, you just cannot stop seeing her in things. So it's like, oh, she's in, you know, you go back a little while, you know, she pops back up and in, in, in stuff in like the mid to late, like 2010s. And now it's like every movie I see, I feel like she's there, you know, whether it's Little Women or Marriage Story, you know, I, and, and she's delivering great performances in all of them. And, and such, again, such varied performances, like sure, as soon as she's on the scene, it's like, it's always like, oh, it's, it's Laura Dern. I wonder what she's going to do. Um, but there is almost like this comfort and excitement in seeing her and just kind of wondering like what kind of quirk is the character that she's playing going to have um i just i just really enjoy seeing her on screen um but but again to get back to you know little women as a film i i'm not like a little women fanboy or anything like that i i'll be honest i didn't know too much about what to expect I have seen like an older version of, of, of one of the versions of little women. It was not really my thing. I didn't think it was that interesting. And you know, I kind of, I'll be honest. I went to the theater on a whim to see this had heard really great things, but was still kind of convinced it wasn't going to be for me. And honestly, like within the first five minutes of the film, I was just kind of arrested by it. I was, I was in it. And and part of that is a specific framing device that they use where, you know, it's 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 really kind of setting up Joe Marsh as this, you know, 
as this writer, as this troubled artist who is kind of trying to find their way. And that was something that made it a lot easier for me to get into this thing. Uh, it was something that I, I hadn't really thought about in terms of, of, of this story. And it, it just kind of got going from there and it just, everything built so nicely and the character interactions were fantastic and the dialogue worked so well. And you know, the, the costuming was fun to watch the way things were lit made sense and looked real. The way things were filmed were beautiful. I, I just, I found myself so engrossed in the way that this story was being told and the way that we were being taken along for that ride and the way that we were kind of transported into the world of this family and started to learn about the different sisters and, and their quirks and how well they got along and, and which sisters kind of paired off better and, you know, and, and the little intersections with other people that they had in their lives. And I don't know, it was just, it was, it was way more beautiful and, in a sense, breathtaking than I than I had expected it to be, um, and you know I I try to go into films with you know with no expectations and and trying not to put anything onto these films, and uh, I I think this was one of those films that had really worked for me on on such a fundamental level. Like I found myself enjoying it so much and. You know, again, like it was the it's the type of movie that a few years ago, like I never would have gone to theaters to see. I would have never thought of spending money to watch it. I would have just kind of dismissed it outright. And, you know, I'm so glad that I didn't because, you know, again, from a directorial standpoint, from an adapt adaptation standpoint, from acting cinematography, everything, it just it works so well. Um the challenge I have with this film in terms of like naming it best picture though, um, I think one of the challenges that, that I kind of see, and, and this is, this is like one of those weird things where I'm like, this is what, like the third time little women has been made into a movie. And not to say that that should disqualify it in any way, because I think a lot of great work has been done to bring this film two screens once again um but you know there's a part of me that that wonders like is it time for something else does something else kind of deserve that um and i think you know what's what's interesting about this is i often will look at these films that are up for these awards and kind of think about what do they have to say about today and not that not that this film doesn't have anything to say about today, because I think in a lot of ways there are aspects of the Little Women's story that are exceptionally, exceptionally timeless. And I think that Greta Gerwig with this version of the film did a very good job of introducing things that are important today um, that weren't necessarily in the original text um, and weren't in previous versions of it. And so I think there's there's a lot of work that had been done there to to you know to to get it there. And I I, I do think it's an oversight to have not nominated Greta Gerwig for best director. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. Like as I'm talking through this, like I don't have a good argument for why this shouldn't win best picture other than I don't like it quite as much, barely not as much 
as the film that I would really love to see win it. You know, and I I know that sounds kind of terrible, but, you know, I think Little Women is a great film. I think it does so much right, um, but it just doesn't have that kind of intangible thing that my favorite film this year, you know, or not my favorite film this year because my favorite film this year wasn't nominated, but my favorite film on this list uh, just kind of up the ante in this really interesting way that I don't think any of the other films on this list quite did. Um, so, you know, barreling through, we're we're actually almost there. Like we have, oh, we have four films left to talk about. And I think some of these are gonna be a little bit more fun to talk about than others. Um, but let's just continue to, to plug away. Uh, Marriage Story is next. Uh, directed by Noah Bombach. Bombach? Bombach. Not sure 100% how that last name is pronounced, despite having watched a couple of interviews with him and the Hollywood Reporter Roundtable with a bunch of other directors. Um, also, it stars Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver, um, with special guest appearances by a bunch of folks, but um, two, char- two that I want to note right now, Ray Liotta and uh, the incomparable Laura Dern, who I just talked about a little bit earlier. Um, this film was the only film on this list that I did not see in theaters opening weekend or pretty close to opening weekend. Technically I didn't see little women opening weekend, but I saw it pretty early on. Um, I am kind of mad at myself for not seeing it in theaters. Uh, mostly because while I was watching, there were a couple of distractions. I I did pretty well to put my phone away and, and not look at it or anything like that. But there, there is something to be said about, having that full theatrical experience when experiencing or when watching a film. Um, that's something that I really enjoy and really love. I've talked about it countless times on the podcast before. I wish I had done that for this film. I think it deserved it. Um, that said, being able to sit down and watch it on Netflix on a Monday night, um, it was, it was good. I mean, I think the, the issue, I'm going to tackle this one a little bit differently because it is it is a very good film. I think Scarlett, both Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver deliver really great performances. The supporting cast is great. I think the dialogue is impeccably written. Noah has done a fantastic job in scripting this thing out. Um, but I think that's also where I, I see kind of the, sh- uh, that's where some of my struggle with this film lives. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, the film is about the struggle of two creative people trying to live together while one, in a sense, eclipses the other. And I feel like that's also apt for, in some ways, describing the actual film that we got. Um, and again, this this might sound a little inflammatory. I don't mean for it to, because again, I think that, I think that, Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver did a fantastic job in their roles, but there are times when, in a sense, it feels like too much of Noah's Noah Baumbach's hand is in the scene. So, obviously, one of the big scenes from this film, you know, the the you know, we'll just call it the uh, the acting off 
um, the film, the portion that everybody wanted to comment on how amazing the acting was uh, because they remembered their lines. Um, I think one of the challenges that I saw in that scene in particular and a few others within the film is in some ways, I felt like the actors were not allowed to make their characters or their scenes theirs. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is something that for me, when I am watching a film, when I'm watching actors, it's something that bothered me um, because I really want to see these people who are at the, the at the height of their powers, um, to use that phrase, um, I, I really want to see them own the material and make it theirs. And, you know, I know that's in, in a lot of ways that's incongruous with my desire to also see directors be given the power to really make their decisions, make their vision come alive on screen. And I think Noah is able to make his vision come alive here. He's able to make it sing, sing and, I, and I really, you know, both beautiful in a way that's beautiful, humorous, heartbreaking, heart-wrenching, um, all at the same time. I, I think this is such a good film. I think it's a, a director's film. I think his stamp is there, his hand is there. And it's like, I love that, but I also am a little off put by it. You know, I think he does a good job of crafting this in a way that works for achieving his vision and telling the story that he wanted to, to tell. Um, but there are certain sections that feel somewhat stilted or stiff when they don't need to. And a lot of that is just because I imagine he must have been very particular about the way he wanted certain things delivered, um, you know, in terms of the pacing and rhythm that he was going for, because that's that's what it's about a lot of times in dialogue. It's about creating a specific rhythm that you are getting your audience into and taking them through this story, taking this through, taking you through a discussion with characters, whatever it may be. Um, and for me, I just, I, I felt in, in a sense, I felt the seams of, of those discussions a little too much. And it, it that at points took me out of the film just a little bit, um, you know, and, and obviously because it's, it, it's kind of a meta commentary, it's a little bit autobiographical, you know, you, you really started to think about the director and in a sense, I, I don't want to call it his interference, but like, you know, how much is he inserting himself into his story as portrayed by the characters that are on the screen? And, you know, what complication does that cause in our ability as an audience, as, as film critics or whatever it may be, to really look at that in, in, a, in a way that allows us to kind of separate him from the product that we're watching, you know, and I'm, and I'm not a, I'm not a death of the author person. I think, it, I think it's very important to understand when we can, what a director is trying to say, what an artist is trying to say. Um, and I think, again, I think Noah Baumbach does a great job of saying what he sets out to say. Um, I just feel like in some cases it's at the expense of his 
actors really being able to truly own and live in the skin of the characters that he has provided them. Um, and, and that's like the, the one thing that I would say for me kind of keeps it from being kind of that, that, that best picture quality film. Like I just found myself drawn out of it at, at just really inopportune moments, moments that I feel like I should have been fully invested in. They just, it just didn't quite get me there. So the next film, I actually went to see this while I was in LA um, and it was a lot of fun. I'm glad I got to see it on a big screen. I think everybody should make sure that they see it on a big screen if they can. Hopefully it's gonna be in theaters a bit longer. I kind of want to go back and watch it again. Uh, the film is 1917 directed by Sam Mendes, Mendes, Mendes. I feel really bad because I, I have heard his name pronounced a bunch of different ways and it's not spelled like a normal Mendez. So I don't, I believe it might actually be Mendes. Um, someone correct me if I'm wrong. Um, please be nice about it. Um, one person I'm going to point out here who I didn't really point out with the other films, but I think it's really important and I'll explain why. Um, the director of photography for this film is Roger Dinkin, Deakins. Roger Deakins. Um, and then the film stars George McKay and uh, Dean Charles Chapman, who you might remember as Tommen, Prince Tommen, King Tommen uh, from Game of Thrones. Um, and this film, I know, I know um, Martin Scorsese got a bit of guff for his comments about uh, theme parks, theme park rides uh, instead of cinema. And like, I don't want this to be taken the wrong way. In a lot of ways, 1917 is a theme park ride. I think it's, yes, it is It is a cinematic film. There are a lot of emotional highs and lows. There is a complete transportation, but you are on a roller coaster ride from the outset of this film. It starts out a little bit slow and then you're right into it. You are into the tension, you are plodding through it, and you are just kind of along for the ride for the long haul. And it is such a beautiful and kind of moving film. Um, in a lot of ways, very quiet. Um, you know, it, there aren't always there's not always the most dialogue in this film, despite having your kind of two central characters going on this mission together. Um, the silence, both in terms of the dialogue and in terms of the score and, and the landscape, it's just, there are these moments of incredible tension um, that are just kind of, you know, again, breathtaking, uh, and maybe beyond breathtaking, breath stealing. Um, and you just, you're going through this film and you're, you're kind of challenged every step of the way, um, to just, you know, hold out hope for the characters and the mission that they are on. Um, I think it is a wonderfully shot film. Um, the core, the core of the way that this film is shot is it's designed to look like one shot, um, you know, not to say that the entire movie was filmed in one take, um, but there are huge pieces of this film that are in these kind of tremendous long takes. And then it's edited all together to 
give the semblance that the entire thing is just like one continued POV shot. And there is an eeriness to the way that the camera moves through the world with these characters that's really beautiful and haunting and, you know, in a sense gives almost a fantastical feel to this film that in a lot of ways is hyper real. And that, that just really worked for me. I just, I thought it was really beautiful, haunting in a lot of ways. I thought it was incredibly emotionally resonant. Um, I found myself, you know, I didn't really, it, of, of the films I saw, it was one of the ones that didn't quite, you know, make me cry fully, but like I was definitely by the end of the film incredibly choked up and, and I needed a, I needed a moment after I finished, you know, it just, you, you walk out of the theater and you just like, you want to breathe. You want to, you know, kind of escape for a little bit because you felt like you went on the mission with these young men and just the harrowing nature of no man's land and, and kind of seeing a version of world war one committed to screen, you know, especially given that it's a war that we don't normally see depicted in film a lot I, I just thought they did such a good job of of transporting us to this place and and really making us feel uh in a way that i honestly did not expect to feel when i saw the trailer you know it's, it's one of those things where when i saw the trailer i was like oh like this looks like a cool war movie it's probably gonna be a little bit like dunkirk i i'm let me let me see what this is all about and you know, I, I got in there and I was immediately just sucked into the world. And, you know, it's it's the, the challenge for me. So, like, I, I, I'm just going to get to it. The reason why I would struggle with putting this as a best picture is because I feel like this film is almost too, um, too reliant on seeing it in an actual movie theater. I not to say that it won't be emotionally resonant on a smaller screen, um, but I don't think you would have that same level of absorption with the material. I don't think you would be transported in the way that it does when you're seeing it larger than life on on the projector. Um, and I think that's a that's a challenge for this film. Like it relies so heavily on being viewed in that way that I, I just I just don't think it quite would live up to what it is on a smaller screen. And I think that would actually kind of draw some points away from it. Um, you know, and I and I know that this is all about cinema and like realistically, like these things should be judged on the way they are meant to be seen, which is to be seen in a theater but like realistically like not everybody's gonna have that opportunity and will they be able to experience this film in that same way no um and you know again that's not that's not any fault of the film itself um but i think that's where i where i kind of land is that i i need it to have something else to elevate it to make it okay that i'm not watching it on that big screen and I don't know if it has enough going for itself in these other areas to really make up for that. I just, I just don't think it will hit the same way on a smaller screen. Um, 
you know, and, and I can't really test that out because I've, I've seen the film. And so like, I know what that initial experience was like. The only thing I could, would be able to do later is watch it again on a smaller screen and like, see if it hits me in that same way. And I, I doubt it would, but you know, again, I guess we'll see as it comes to streaming, um, you know, how does that work for people that didn't see it on the big screen? Do they, do they feel transported by this film? Do they, you know, do they have a, a strong liking of it or, you know, does it, does it kind of leave them cold, uh, because they couldn't experience it the way that it was meant to be experienced. So I, I just, I think that's a conversation that we often, you know, just kind of skip over when it comes to film and cinema and, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, the way that things were meant to be viewed and, you know, from, from the perspective of being an artist, like that's a really real thing. Like there are specific environments sometimes that you need your work to be seen in. And, you know, it, it's challenging to judge your work on its, on its merits. If you're not experiencing it the way that it was meant to be experienced. So, you know, I can only imagine with these Academy voters who might be watching this thing on a screener, like, I, I'll be honest, I think most of the people that are voting probably actually went to see it in theaters, um, unlike something like Parasite, um, unfortunately. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, if they didn't, if they're watching this thing on a screener, are they giving it a fair shake or are they dinging it just because it, it feels smaller now? Um, so, I mean, I guess that's something that we're going to find out, um, you know, on Sunday. Um, I won't be watching, but if you watch, let me know. I'll probably just be following along on Twitter. Actually, by the time they announce that award, I will probably be asleep, but you know, we'll see what happens. And we have two movies left, so I need to get through this. This is getting long. We are almost at an hour now, or actually with uh, cuts and everything, it's probably a little bit over an hour. Sorry about this. A little long-winded today, but we had a lot of movies to talk about. So, ah. Uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, you probably heard me talk about this this summer during my Mondays at the movies phase. Um, and if you remember correctly, this was not one of my favorites. So uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is directed by Quentin Tarantino, and it stars Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, and supposedly stars Margot Robbie. I personally don't think she's given enough to do in this film. I actually had this conversation with a friend earlier and she was literally the first person that I talked to that absolutely fell in love with Margot Robbie's character of Sharon Tate. Um, I know you are supposed to. Um, I know that's like kind of how she's designed in the film. You want to, you know, kind of align your emotions with her and feel good about her while also fighting back the constant dread that you have about her and if something is going to happen to her. Um, that said, in the actual film with the story that's being told, I personally don't think she has enough to do. I don't think she has anything interesting to do um, other than to kind of put her feet up and, and be pretty and I, I think it's in a, in a lot of ways. And I'm, I'm sure... I'm sure folks disagree, 
but I feel like Margot Robbie is a much better actress than what she was given in this film. Um, and that's just something that's always going to bother me about these types of things. I, I think there were a lot of places that they could have gone with her character um, that they just didn't do. Um, or I should say that Quentin didn't do. So, um, now that said, I think Brad Pitt is in a lot of ways the standout for me in this film. Um, I think that he he exerts this level of cool that's really interesting and speaks specifically to the type of old school Hollywood that Quentin Tarantino is trying to capture here. And, and I guess just in a quick aside there, the way that they were able to kind of, in a sense, recreate the Hollywood of old within this film, I think is nothing short of miraculous. I, I believe they did an amazing job of making it look, you know, making it look old school, making it look like it must have looked in the 70s. I think that was something that was uh, really, really masterfully done. Um, and I, I definitely applaud them for all of the work that they put into making that happen. Um, but again, I think that, you know, Brad Pitt's effortless cool uh, that he was able to bring to this film uh, was really kind of, it was fun. It was one of the most fun pieces of this film. Um, I opened this podcast with a, a little excerpt from one of Leonardo DiCaprio's um, good moments in this film. I think he, I think the challenge for me here is that, you know, technically he's the main character, but in a lot of ways, he's not as interesting as Brad Pitt's character. You're more you're more interested in his little adventures. Um, that said, I think for me, that section that I that I drew that clip from where Leonardo DiCaprio is on set and he is trying to, you know, get himself into character and do a good job with this, you know, heavy role that he's been given as he's trying to rekindle his career as an actor, as he's re trying really trying to refine himself and rekindle um, his star. I, I just, I really love that section. Um, and I think he just does such a good job in that part. Um, you know, and I, I really could kind of rewatch that section over and over again just because I think it's so well done and I really love his performance in that role. Um, other than that, I don't, I, I, I know, I know is about someone trying to recapture their glory in a lot of ways. And, and there's some other things that I can't say without spoiling it. Um, but there's, there's a degree to which I, I don't know if this film really had anything interesting to say. And I think that's ultimately like why I don't think I could ever give this film, you know, the best picture award. Um, I just don't think it, it, I just don't think it said anything that warrants that, um, you know, and, and yeah, it's like, you know, you can have great performances. You can visually have a good looking film. You know, your soundtrack can be fantastic. Um, but if you don't really have anything to say, you know, are you deserving of that top spot? And I, I feel like that's an issue here. Plus, I mean, there's, there are challenges with this film. I mean, you know, Quentin Tarantino needs an editor that is willing to cut his films down even more. Like this film is bloated and shaggy and, you know, 
while that's not always a bad thing, while there are some great pieces that, that get left over in that, there's definitely some, there's some shaving that could have been done to make this a better film, a more efficient film. Uh, and, I, and I think that's, you know, that's a kind of a good way to really kind of lead into talking about Parasite, which is my personal choice for what I think should win best picture and a lot of that is because one it has something great to say so so let's just parasite is directed by bong joon ho um and it stars i'm gonna butcher all these names i'm sorry uh but it stars uh kang ho song choi woo shik park so dam jang hee jin uh and, uh, among some others too and you know, really, like Bong Joon Ho is directing and and creating such an efficient film here. I, I, you know what the story is about. You know what you are dealing with very early on. Um, even though you know this isn't a spoiler, but there is a bit of a pivot in the film that kind of changes the direction and momentum of certain things, but it never changes what the film is about. Um, and I think that's something that's really interesting about it. I think the performances are so good. Um, I think, you know, much like what I was talking about with Jojo Rabbit, the balance between humor, uh, between just pure comedy and seriousness are, are, are so well done. So suddenly, subtly, woven together um it's just it's a really beautiful film and you know again it, it it knows what it's talking about so you know one of the core conceits of this film or one of the core issues that it's facing or, or addressing i should say is is poverty and and how what will people do to kind of get out of that situation and you know looking at things like class warfare and class divides and and um interclass struggle and you know uh class solidarity and like all of these different things and you know to be able to fit such you know important topics into this efficient well-paced entertaining funny heart-wrenching film is it's just it's brilliant it's it's something that i haven't really seen before um you know, and, and not to say that, you know, I haven't seen films tackle these issues in a way that's really impressive before, but, you know, it will just, we'll add on top because this is going to be a, a huge piece of the conversation uh, at the Academy Awards and surrounding this film. We're talking about a film that is from South Korea. It is pretty much almost all Korean dialogue, there's a little bit of English here and there, uh, but pretty much all Korean dialogue, if you are a non-Korean speaker, you are watching this film with subtitles. And, you know, my sister, after seeing this film, called me and said, I forgot I was watching a film with subtitles. And, and for me, like, that's such a, that is such a mark of something that is doing its job. You know, something that you have to read it to understand it, but, you forget that you are going through the process of reading it because you are so engaged by what you're seeing. You are moved by the characters that you're seeing and their struggles and, you know, the predicament that they have found themselves in or created for themselves. And 
I don't know. It's, I just think there's something really, you know, marvelous about that. And they, they do such a good job of weaving the story together, making you care, um, you know, taking you all the way through and, and really kind of forcing you to contend with the aftermath of this film. And, you know, I know people have a tendency to write things off just because they might have to do a little bit more work with them. And I know, you know, on, on Twitter, it was making the rounds that supposedly 17 Academy voters, you know, still hadn't seen Parasite. And this was like a week, you know, this is a week out from the Academy Awards. And, you know, all I can think is like, they are doing themselves a disservice because this film is so good. This film is, is important in a lot of ways because, you know, it, it's showing how much other folks are doing in the realm of cinema, how they're able to create and tell these stories in a way that's, that's incredibly engaging and moving. And, you know, we really have to, we really have to do a better job of embracing international cinema when it comes to the way that we look at and present these awards. Um, you know, again, I, I know at the top, I talked a little bit about how part of the challenge with the Academy Awards, especially, but other awards as well, is the fact that, you know, you need to have money to get your, you know, film seen for these different potential awards. And so what we saw was the Parasite cast really missing out on some of the nominations that they probably deserve, especially in the acting categories, just because Neon, the, the distributor, didn't really have the funds to get all these for, for your considerations out for their different performers in this film. And, you know, and that's really, it's sad in a lot of ways. The other challenge there too is because, because these are international actors, you know, there isn't necessarily the name recognition that you have, you know, from people here in the States or who are, who are you know, English speaking actors, I think is a more accurate way to put that. And, you know, for me, uh, in a lot of ways, what Parasite represents, especially if it wins, is, you know, our need to change the way that we think about these awards and present them. Uh, and, you know, in a sense, making you wonder, like, how can we change this from just being about, you know, the best picture to making sure that the actors in the best picture are also being nominated when they deserve it, you know, or, you know, again, to the, to the point of little women earlier to make sure that directors who are, who have their films nominated for best picture are also being recognized. And I know some of it is like, Oh, well, we only have so many slots for nominations for directors. And, you know, it's, it's kind of weird to me that like any film that would be nominated for best director or for best picture wouldn't also have its director nominated for best director and i know sometimes there are films where the direction is not why it's the best picture but there are other there are other instances where it almost doesn't make sense to have those kind of two divorced from one another so um i know i got a, onto a little bit of a tangent there but i i just i just wanted to say that i i i yeah uh, in, in the notes that I had wrote for myself to, uh, to really kind of 
you know, bring it home on, on my feelings on Parasite. You know, I saw it for a second time this weekend. My sister and I convinced my mom to go see it. And, you know, once she fell in love with it, I, you know, kind of reminded myself of all the things that I loved about this film. Um, some of which are hard to talk about because, again, I know not everybody who's listening to this may have have seen all those films um, or this film in particular. Um, so I don't want to spoil anything for you. But one of the things that I realized watching it again is just like the the ease that it kind of put me at watching this film. Like I actually checked my Fitbit later and it it registered me as being asleep because I guess my my heart rate lowered to a certain point and you know I was just kind of so in the film because such a fantastic pace had been established like I the way that I would describe it is I I feel like it, it's like a piece of music that's so masterfully put together that you know the the beat is just right and you just fall into the flow and you just feel yourself drifting with it um that's that's what parasite felt like to me i i just feel like they they did such a good job of of kind of perfectly conducting this orchestra and, and really making this beautiful symphony happen so if you haven't seen it please please do yourself a favor and watch parasite it is, it is a fantastic film, and it's the film that I believe should be our Best Picture winner this year. fam agree disagree tired of hearing my voice because i just went on for over an hour talking about the best picture nominees um i i really want to hear what you all think i'm i'm interested in finding out who actually wins this weekend um but i i really want to hear from you all what are your picks for best picture this year are there films that you wish had gotten looked at that just did not get get looked at you know it, it's funny because like as i was we were talking about films at, at, at happy hour tonight and a couple that came up were just peanut butter falcon the fact that it really got no love um this award season is really surprising i i, I think it is a beautiful film and it's an incredibly well done film um something like the last black man in san francisco not getting any sort of nomination or, or look is is really sad, uh, especially because of how beautiful that film was as well. Um, and even stuff like Midsummer not getting not getting a look for even even costuming or, or anything, um, you know. And obviously, a lot of people have talked about the stumps of J Lo um, for best I guess best supporting actress. Um, credit Gerwig for best director as well as Lupita Nyong'o for us who really again in my opinion I know this might be inflammatory I know this is a take that some people will not agree with but I believe for her performance in us that she deserved a best actress nomination and a best supporting actress nomination I think she put in that work and did an amazing job in that role 
Um, but of course, it, it wasn't going to get the attention that it deserved from the Academy. Um, so those are those are just some of my thoughts. Like I said, as always, agree, disagree, want to share your thoughts. Hit me up on social media at LarryTron pretty much everywhere on social media. Or if you want to be a little bit more private and you want to email me, hit me up Larry at LM2Photo.com. Um, I really look forward to hearing from you all. Uh, if you can, if you have a chance, drop me a rating, uh, especially if you're on iTunes. Um, I think I mentioned it before. I'm trying to get up to a point where I have enough reviews to submit myself to be a Rotten Tomatoes critic. Uh, I think I technically do it now, but I, I want to make sure that I'm getting pretty close to the number of reviews that they're requesting. So if you can give me a review, that would be great. Um, and yeah, I, we're going to have a couple of fun episodes coming up in the future. Um, one of the ones that you might've seen me talking about on social media, I am going to be creating my episode on cats. Don't worry. It is coming. Um, I'm going to try to do more regular episodes just about movies that are coming out. Uh, because you know, as the last couple of weeks have shown me when I don't do that, people don't see the things that I want to talk to them about. Um, you know, stuff like the gentleman really wanted people to see it, but no one has. And I think part of that is because I don't tell people to see it. So um, not going to put that all on me because obviously there's marketing and other factors. Um, but I want to get back into sharing a little bit more of that uh, more regularly. Um, I'll also have some TV episodes that are going to be coming up. So look forward to all of that as always stay watching fam peace